Let me first address why I'm underdressed. Um, and there's a real reason for this. I wish I could say I'm just still transitioning back from sabbatical, but the reality is, is Betsy and I purchased a home in July. And so, thank you. Crazy story that I want to talk about at a different time because it was a, a lot to it, and there, there's some people that played a part in that that I want to honor sufficiently. So I'm not going to explain that now, but how that connects to how I'm dressed is, you know, when you move in, there's a couple things you forget. And one of them is to make sure you appropriately mark your boxes. <laughs> so when you move in, you got all this stuff, you're going through stuff, you're like, hey, we're taking our time, we're pulling stuff out. And it wasn't until Friday night that it hit me. Where are my jeans and my belt? <laughs> Out of all the boxes that I see, I don't remember seeing those. And so I asked my wife, and she said, well, there's a box downstairs that's labeled. And I said, I don't think that's it, but I'm going to check. So I went and checked, and it's not there. And there's a bunch of boxes in the garage. And I just said, I don't think it's there. <laughs> so I was not going to look through all those boxes to put on some jeans and a decent shirt for y'all. So I said, well, it's sweatpants and the long shirt it is. These last few weeks, last six weeks, it's been, I just, it's been seven weeks since I've been here. I would say July 25th was the last Sunday. But I was here, and I don't even—I think I preached the week before that. So it's been almost two months uh, since I preached, at least. And so I know that that Mike has done a fantastic job leading our church through practical care. Amen. And I was excited about this this particular teaching series because it's not a series that we've done a lot of talking about each week a different kind of practical care. So I was grateful that to, to see that, to hear that, to hear a few of the responses to that particular teaching series. And in that, I, I, I was going to go in a direction that I thought the Lord was leading me when I, when I came back, just before we jumped back into to Romans 10. And so I called Mike and just had a conversation with him about where I thought I was the Lord was leading me. I wanted to see if he, if he could see that or if I'm just, maybe it's just for me personally. One of the challenges of being a, a teacher or a preacher is that the Lord does stuff in you and then you have to figure out, is this just for me or is this for the church? And I don't want to make assumptions that what I may be wrestling with or what I may be helping people wrestle with is something that needs to go to everyone. And so as I talked to Mike, he was like, nah, I think this is, it's different from where we've been, but it's a good, it'll be a good thing. And then I went on a Acts 29 leadership retreat at the end of August, which I'll, at the family meeting in October, I'll explain what that is. They've asked me to consider some leadership within Acts 29. So I went to the training for a couple of days with some other pastors at the end of August, and I had a conversation with them about what I want to talk about today and for the next few weeks. And I was surprised, actually, to see the response from these other pastors as they thought, wow, I hadn't thought that way, and I think you might be on to something. Even though the issue that I want to talk about is not anything new, I just think I want to frame it in such a way that helps us understand that, at least from the practical care standpoint, this is an issue that will prevent us from participating in the practical care. It has done significant damage in my life. It has done damage in the life of people in this room. We're going to look at two verses today from Hebrews. Hebrews 12. And then I'll fill us in on sort of where we're headed, what we're doing. Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 14 and 15. It says this. I'm reading from the CSB translation. It says this, and I quote, Pursue peace with everyone 
and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that the root of bitterness, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Bitterness is the COVID-19 in the church. It is a dangerous reality for the Christian. It is an undergirding demonic attitude that will affect even our ability to do something like care for other people. Now, the framework to understand the concern for bitterness is laid out in verse 14. God says this very clearly. He says this, pursue peace with everyone. All right? Pursue peace with everyone, and he gives a stipulation. Pursuing peace with everyone has a stipulation. And the stipulation is holiness. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. It's a stipulation. Now, this is important for us because we're living in a time where pursuing peace with people, a lot of people want that. But the way people want us to pursue peace with them is to approve of things that we can't approve of if we trust what the Bible says. And so when God says pursue peace with everyone, he's not saying approve of everything. He's saying it has to be connected to holiness. So the pursuing of peace is not just, hey, I'm just trying to be good with everyone. It's I need to do it in the context of holiness. It's not approving of everything. It's not how you vote or who you vote for. It's not what you think about all cultural issues. It's what does the character of God require of me in the pursuing peace with everyone. Holiness is a word that is not used too often in our day anymore. In fact, for some people, it's probably a little bit archaic. We don't think about holiness that much. But holiness is a word that is in the Bible. We're commanded to do it. But some of us can sometimes forget the responsibility of this. Except that baby. Holiness, in one sense, is just what we would call sanctification. It's the act of becoming more personally dedicated to God, especially by becoming more distinct or devoted or morally pure. So holiness is specifically about the commands of God, obeying those commands, and the character of God in which those commands need to be obeyed. There is a character that comes with grace, not just a command. So God doesn't tell us to just pursue peace. That's the command. But the holiness is the character. This is presented as a moral goal, right? So pursue peace with everyone and holiness. So God is telling us, listen, this is a command, it's a responsibility, and here's the character in which you do it in. Make sure you don't pursue peace and not be holy. We see this happening a ton. Peace, but unholy. Biblically, those two things do not connect. 
Sanctification is just becoming more like Jesus. So we pursue peace, becoming more like Jesus. Not pursue peace so that other people think we're peaceful. Now, I'm not saying these two have to be opposed, but oftentimes, when it comes to the scripture and being like Jesus, we, we live in a, a, a system where we know that the enemy controls, Satan has a foothold in this world and has a responsibility to stop people from believing and to stop those who believe from believing. This stipulation to pursue peace is on God's terms. And to end that concern, God provides a necessary warning to take seriously. Look at the end of verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with everyone. So that's believers, unbelievers, people you agree with, people you don't agree with. We pursue peace, but in a way that God has required. And if we do not, he says, no one will see the Lord. This statement is made in the backdrop of Jesus saying, if you love me, obey my commandments. If we don't pursue holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's one of those statements. There are certain times where God and his word, because he understands that we struggle with how to process grace, right? We went through Romans 6, and that was Romans 6. Should we sin because grace is amazing? No, by no means. Grace should mean you don't sin, and, and it's sort of a weird thing for us. So God, there are times where he wants to make sure that we're sure that he wants us to do something for real, for real. And so he puts this warning in for us to take seriously without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this isn't a statement of you won't see God ever. Everyone will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We know that from Revelation 20. We know that. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, great and small, popular to unknown, will stand before God and the books will be opened and some will be told, welcome home. Some will be told, don't know you. So when he says, without which no one will see the Lord, he's not talking about we will escape ever facing the judgment of God, but he means you will not be in the presence of God. This is an eternal statement. In other words, if you pursue peace with everyone and it's not holy, then you won't see the Lord. You won't be in eternity with God. And I think you could even extrapolate it to say you won't see his work now. This is a necessary warning to take seriously. And this is sort of how the concern for bitterness sort of lays itself out. We haven't even gotten to that yet. He just said, listen, pursue peace with everyone. Be holy, be godly. Without it, you won't see the Lord. Remember this word holiness, church. And remember the warning, because God put it there for a reason, not to scare anyone, or, but to make sure, hey, take this seriously. Be serious about this thing. And be careful how you rationalize pursuing peace and making sure people like you and you're good, and I want to respect what they think, and I want to do that. But don't let it compromise what God says you're supposed to, how you're supposed to think, act, or feel. That's going to be a challenge. 
because it's being imposed everywhere. You got to think this way. You got to be this way. You need to accept and approve this. You got to vote this way. You got to think this way. You got to judge this way. You got to agree with this. Some of it is just like, no, nah, actually, I don't. Remember eternity. Remember eternity. If you are a believer, this is not your home. In verse 15 is when the transition to the actual issue that I think is where we're going to rest for a while is, is there. But I want to do something different in verse 15. In, in the CSB translation, it says this. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Well, I want to use actually a different translation. I want to go back to the translation that I used to use, which was the ESV, because I feel like the way it renders this verse, the way it interprets this verse, I feel like it's done better than the CSB translation. Let me give you one of the main reasons why. In the one in the CSB, it says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. So it almost makes it seem like these are two different things. Fall short of the grace of God and that a root of bitterness springs up and causes those two different things. But that's, I don't, the and should not be there. In the ESV translation, it says it this way. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There is no and in between those two clauses because failing to obtain bitterness is failing to obtain the grace of God. They're not two separate things. Like you fail to obtain the grace of God and don't be bitter. No, if you're bitter, then you fail to obtain the grace of God. So we're going to use the ESV translation. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We're going to answer two questions this morning. What is bitterness? And then what does bitterness do? These are two questions this morning. What is bitterness? And then what does bitterness do? Some of the observations will be just from this passage and then one more passage. And then some of them will just be not necessarily what the Bible commands, but the experience of bitter. When you have struggled with bitterness and been bitter before like I have, or when you've been, people have been bitter against you and you've received, then it, 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 it makes sense. It's not that complicated. Let me say this first. Bitterness in the English dictionary is described as an adjective, but in the Bible, it's also a verb. Bitterness is not just a description, but it actually does things. Bitterness is not static. It does not stand still. It moves. So it's an adjective and a verb. Now, what is bitterness? The actual Greek word translated is various different things, but it has, it has words like this, animosity, anger, harshness, to have bitter resentment or hatred towards someone else. So these are things that the Bible is describing. And as you can see already, just from that definition, how can you be at peace with God and be like this with others. Bitterness is a self-assessment of what we think we deserve and a repudiation of what we do not think we deserve. It's a rejection, a dislike for what we don't think we deserve. Bitterness is an unbiblical attitude or response that makes unmet expectations equivalent to sin. 
Bitterness makes unmet expectations equivalent to sin. You thought this was going to happen and it didn't, and you're bitter. You're offended. It makes unmet expectations equivalent to sin, but not all the things that disappoint us are not necessarily sinful. They just didn't meet the expectations that we had. We thought it would go this way. We thought he would be more like this. We thought she would think this way. We thought that if I did this, that she would be excited and really encouraged by it. We thought that he would be more this way. We thought that they would listen after I told them don't do it once. It's an unbiblical attitude or response that makes unmet expectations equivalent to sin. This is a dangerous reality. Because you can, someone could accidentally spill coffee on you on a new shirt that you really like, and they can apologize, and you can still be bitter at them. We've had this stuff happen, right? So I'm not talking even just about coffee, I'm just talking about something that happened. It was an accident. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Someone pulls out, boom, you get out the car, you look at your car, you start thinking your your car's banged up, you start thinking about insurance, you start thinking about all this stuff really quick, and then you think about how stupid this person was to pull out that way. And it takes everything you got not to say that. And depending on your personality type, you might go ahead and let that slip out. (laughs) Everybody doesn't have a different, everybody got different personality types. Some people have a disposition of just more quiet and reserved. I ain't one of them folks. If that happens and you see me like, that's the, that's, the, that's the spirit being like, boy, don't you say nothing. Don't say. It was an accident, but to me, you're an idiot. Why are they an idiot? Because you didn't expect to get hit this morning. Now you're judging their motive. You were probably on your phone, and you probably weren't this, and you were probably... You have no idea that person may be struggling with a real serious, deep issue, and for a moment, lost focus because they may have been crying over something and pulled out and hit your car, and the Lord allowed it to happen to expose your bitterness. It makes unmet expectations equivalent to sin. Now, the scripture has a definition as well. What is bitterness? Look at verse 15. Scripture says it is a root. Bitterness is a root. What is a root? Well, a root is something that's underground. It's, It's usually deep in the ground. So by calling it a root of bitterness, it's saying that this thing is deep and it's underground. In fact, bitterness is not always obvious at first. It's a root. It's something that, as we'll see in a moment, it grows. But it starts off as something deep. It's not always noticeable. It's the, that's okay, don't worry about it. Okay, it's, it's fine. I understand accidents happen. It's fine. But inside, it's like, man. And it just grows. It just grows. It's a root. It's not always obvious. Let me, let me, let me prove this point from a, from, a, from a story in Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to jump into a narrative of the church is, is being established. Salvation is happening. Philip goes to the Samaritans. The Samaritans are getting saved. Word gets back to Peter and them, and they come to, to check it out and see, is this real? And let's look at what happens here in Acts chapter 8. This is, it's not always obvious, but let's just let's look at what happens here. Beginning in verse 9 of Acts 8. 
A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, this story was a surprise to me. I forgot that Peter said that to Simon. And the first thing I thought was, okay, Peter had the spirit filled, but where was the bitterness? How did he know that he's poisoned by bitterness? Like, I, if Peter hadn't said that, I would have never thought, well, this was bitterness right here. Like, where is the bitterness at? Now, keep in mind a couple things. Simon is a baptized believer. Right? Verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized. So this is a baptized believer. He heard the gospel despite the fact that he was doing a bunch of sorcery and demonic arts and fooling people. Notice it said, this man is called the great power of God. It might be a name he gave himself. He's doing this stuff, but then he hears the gospel and he believes, and he gets baptized. In that day and age, you were a Christian when that happened. You don't get baptized unless you believe. So he was a baptized believer. And then there's further fruit in his life in verse 13. He followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. So he's a baptized believer who's, the, who's amazed at the things of God. So this isn't a dude who's sitting around pouting and stuff. This is a guy who's following Philip as a new believer, excited to see the work of God and people being saved, coming to conversion, people being healed, probably demons being cast out, all these things he's excited about. It says he's amazed. He's a believer, he's baptized, and he's amazed at the things of God. Are there baptized believers who are amazed at the things of God in this room? He was one of them. But Peter said, you are poisoned by bitterness to a baptized believer who's amazed at the things of God. Now, it doesn't give us reasons why Peter said that. We don't know at all. The context may give us some clues, but ultimately that's not the point of the passage isn't why he's bitter. It just mentions that he is. But let me give you a couple of reasons why, based on the context, he may be bitter. He wanted the ability of the apostles because he was amazed by the signs and miracles they were doing. I mean, he offered them money, right, in verse 14. Hey, let me pay you. Let me get some of that. Let me get one of those. I want to do that too. And when Peter said, no, 
Now, we don't know the time frame in which this happened, but, but think about this for a second. He gets baptized. He's amazed. He's walking around with Philip. The other apostles come. They're laying hands on and are baptizing people. He's amazed. Then he says, hey, I want to get that. Maybe he just was ignorant, didn't know that, like, you don't pay for this, bro. See, what he got, the little stuff that he does, those were tricks that he paid for. Those may have been things that he learned and he bought this little magic spell and did this and did that. So he thought, oh, let me get that. It might have just been an innocent gesture like, hey, he's a new believer. He doesn't know everything yet. He wanted the ability. They were doing things he couldn't do, but he was still amazed. From the moment that he gave, asked for Peter to give him money, give him, pay Peter for the gift of the spirit, Unless a long time happened, that all happened in seconds. So Peter is telling him, you are poisoned by bitterness. So either this man has been bitter all this time or his bitter came, bitterness came instantly when he wasn't going to get the gift that he wanted. So either he's been this way and Peter by the spirit just called it out or it happened that quick that he's now poisoned by bitterness. I think it's the latter. I think bitterness happens that quick. He may have been bitter at no longer being seen as the great power of God, but we know he was amazed. Maybe he was amazed because he thought, I want to do that. I should be able to do that. The people were no longer amazed with him. It said that when Philip came, men and women were getting baptized. It was like, man, later for that dude, we going with him. The Bible doesn't make this clear. But without that phrase, we wouldn't have thought this dude is bitter. I just would have thought he was ignorant. He got corrected because Peter's not playing, you know. He's in a zone, and he got corrected for that. But Peter said, no, 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 no. You are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. This is a baptized believer who's amazed at the things of God that is poisoned by bitterness. He's poisoned by animosity, anger, harshness, and hatred towards someone else. He has an unbiblical response to an unmet expectation, which I think was to be able to do what the apostles are doing. Maybe he got saved because he thought, if I get saved, I'll be able to do what they do. You know, we get saved for all the wrong reasons sometimes. Not because we see ourselves as a sinner that needs a savior, but we see ourselves as a person who doesn't want to go to hell when they die. This is, a, this is for later, but I'm going to say this now. When we believe in the Lord based on anything but we need a savior because we're sinful and we've sinned against the holy God, when the foundation of our faith in Jesus is anything other than that, I want a better life, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want this and I don't want that, it, there will be it would be obvious at some point that your bitterness to God is going to show up when you go through some things. When a teaching comes, it's a little too much for you. Bitterness is a self-assessment of what we think we deserve and a rejection. What we don't think we deserve. The question is, who defines what we deserve? How do we determine that? What does bitterness do? When I called Mike and told him where I felt like I was headed, I was talking about bitterness, and Mike gave the best succinct description of what bitterness does that I've come across. And I've heard a lot of different things. I'm not just saying it because it's Mike and his home team. That's not what we do. 
But I thought, when he said it, I was like, hey, bro, that's probably the best succinct description I've ever heard of bitterness. It was just three words. And he didn't say it to, he just said it casually. And he said, bitterness is just memorializing your pain. And as soon as he said it, I was like, fam, say that joint again. And he said, you just memorialize your pain. Light bulb went off. Anyone who knows me knows when that light bulb kicks in, I'm, on, I'm gone for a minute. I said, bro, that is a very succinct description of bitterness and what it actually does. It memorializes, it commemorates. When you memorialize something, you commemorate it, you remember it. You even celebrate it. You remind yourself of it. I mean, we had a 20-year anniversary of 9-11, right? Never forget. That might be another two, even more succinct way to describe bitterness. You never forget. You never forget. You memorialize it. You, you remember it. You think about it. To some degrees, in an odd way, celebrate it. You memorialize your pain, your hurt. I remember what he said to me, the way he said it. I remember the look on her face and the, her body language. I remember. You ever told a story to someone that happened years ago? And as you're telling it, you still feel the emotions of it? You might be still bitter. I know that happens to me. Most of the failure in my marriage, ways that I failed, has been because of bitterness. Most of it. In fact, this month, I was, I was studying this and thinking through it. I was like, wow, Lord. Most of the things that I could attract, track that my failure and my, the way I relate to my wife would be connected to bitterness. And I would have thought, well, I'm not bitter because, see, one of the deceptions of bitterness is it doesn't mean I can only relate to this person in negative ways. Bitterness has some good hustle with it. You can still have fun with this person and laugh at times, but then you go back to that, never forget. Let me, let me remember the hurt. Let me remember that comment. Let me remember that decision. Let me remember that name that you called me, that email you sent me, that text message. I'm going to remember it. Memorialize my hurt. That's why bitterness is dangerous. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Four quick observations from this verse of what bitterness does. The first thing it says it fails to obtain the grace of God. That is a scary statement. It's, that's an eternal statement. Think about this for a minute. Bitterness doesn't coexist with holiness because it fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is predicated on forgiveness that is undeserved. When we talk about the grace of God, you hear all these different definitions. Unmerited favor towards those who don't deserve it, right? The grace of God is something, it's predicated on the fact that we are forgiven though we don't deserve it. Now, depending on your theology, you may have a different perspective, but there is no sense in the Bible that I can point out of why people should be forgiven outside of Jesus Christ. So grace, 
the grace of God in our understanding of it, in our application of it, it is connected to I am forgiven by God and I don't deserve that, but he's freely given me that. So as believers in imitation of God, we offer forgiveness to others who don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Now, they do in Christ, obviously. But we offer forgiveness because we have been offered forgiveness. And bitterness fails to obtain the grace of God. We fail. Bitterness fails to receive forgiveness from God. And those who are bitter who failed to obtain the grace of God are not in the family of God. Who fails to obtain the grace of God and will make it to heaven and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? These are mutually exclusive. You fail to obtain the grace of God when you remain bitter. You don't understand you have forgotten that the foundation of Christianity is not just that Jesus died on the cross or this or that. That is the foundation, but your forgiveness. His, his death on the cross was not an act in and of itself. It was an act that connected to God saying, sin and the wrath of me towards sin has been satisfied because of what Jesus did. And so now I will forgive Anyone who believes in Jesus. When we are bitter, we are declaring that we do not need or want the grace of God anymore. Because I don't need it. I'm offended. Now we're going to talk about this next week, but just think about, you know, I've been looking at a lot of deconstruction stories in the last month. Like, I've just, I get in a lane, then I stay in that lane for a while. So I've been looking at all these different deconstruction stories, leaving the faith. Why I'm no longer a Christian. I've been watching a ton of these. Because I want to hear firsthand from what people say. I don't want to hear what people think people mean. I want to hear what they say. So I've watched a ton of these. I still watch them. I drive home. Let me put one of these on. And there's a theme in a lot of them. We're going to talk about this more next week, but there's a theme in many of them. And let me tell you what this theme is. It's one word. It's resolution. Christianity did not resolve questions that I had. It did not resolve experiences that I had. So it's fake to me. People are hypocrites. The irony of someone calling people hypocrites, it means you're not a hypocrite. So... If you're going to a church and you see people sinning, you say they're hypocrites. Are you not sinful? Like only Jesus was the only person who's not a hypocrite. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. James said we stumble in various ways. He said we. Third personal pronoun. We're all hypocrites. So you can't say that you're leaving Christianity because people are hypocrites because you're one. If the standard of, of, of leaving something is hypocrisy, then why are you even alive? You're always a hypocrite. We're always hypocrites on some level. Christians are not hypocritical. They're just forgiven for the hypocrisy. We'll get to that next week. We talk about how does bitterness defile. When we are bitter, we fail to obtain the grace of God and are declaring that we do not need it or we don't want it. I'm so offended that I don't even care anymore. And so for some people, they just leave the faith and then make YouTube videos and have a channel devoted to helping other people do the same thing. Second observation from this passage, from this verse 15, that bitterness does. What does bitterness do? It grows. That no root of bitterness springs up. So it grows. Bitterness springs up. So it may be a root that you can't really see as well yet, 
But that thing is going to grow. We cannot uh, contain it or control it. It's going to spring up. If anybody has a garden and you plant stuff and you, you get weeds and all that and you pull that stuff up, you go, to the, you go online, you look at the Amazon reviews and there's 21,000 reviews for this thing with four and a half stars and it's called Weed Killer and then you order it prime, pay $2.99 for it to come between four and eight in the morning. You get it, you go out the next day, you use half the bottle, pull them things up, and in two weeks, they're back. And you look like at the bottle. You go back on Amazon and find all the one-star reviews and be like, I should have read this one. Let me tell you, let me give you a quick tip on Amazon. Read seven one-star reviews, and if you still think you can buy it after them, it's a go. I read one-star reviews. The weeds grow. They grow. Bitterness springs up. It will eventually reveal itself, and you cannot control it. It will reveal itself. Third observation from this passage is that bitterness causes trouble. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Bitterness is something that will have collateral damage. And if we're not going after it and not trying to uproot that bitterness. It will have eternal collateral damage. Remember what God said, no one will see the Lord. This is not one of those things where, yes, grace is amazing and there's time to go after this. And by God's grace, many of us want to go after these things. but we are memorializing our pain and it will cause trouble. Bitterness does not exist without consequences. There are significant consequences for bitterness. It will cause trouble. Now, I love the way the Bible does this. The Bible talks about things like it's an entity of itself, like bitterness. Like we can drive up. Dad, what is that? Oh, that's bitterness, son. <laughs> you know, bitterness is not like a building or a tree or a particular area that you could just drive up and be like, oh, that's bitterness. Oh, that's what bitterness is. Okay. No, we talk about it like it's an entity, but bitterness does not exist without a host. Bitterness does not exist unless it is within a person. Bitterness is a verb. It does things. It fails to obtain the grace of God. It grows. It springs up. There is collateral damage. Before I was a Christian, I didn't make this rule up as like a standing rule in my mind. It just became a part of just how I moved when I was in the streets. If, if I was bitter at somebody, or I knew they were bitter at me, we just didn't like each other, cool, I'm just not going to be around you. Like, I'm just cool. Like, I don't got to talk to you. Like, it's not, it's not, it's whatever. I'm just not going to talk to you. Like, I don't want to be around people. We used to call it fake. I don't want to be around fake people. Really, I was just bitter at people for how they carry themselves. But they fake. I don't want to be around fake people. Why are they fake? Because they don't treat me a particular way. But I just had this rule. I'm not going to be around you, so I don't care. But then when you become a Christian, it's not that easy. Because what happens when you're bitter at your spouse? Now, some people call it quits. Can't do that. So now I got to interact with you. What about if you're bitter at people in your church? And they ain't leaving. You ain't leaving. No, it happens. It happens. It happens. Now, by God's grace, that's not, that's not, I'm not bitter at anyone here. Shoot, I've been gone for seven weeks. I forgot about it if I was. 
I got too many other things going to be bitter. But by God's grace, you know, over time, but that doesn't, but I, it's, it, but I am susceptible to bitterness. I am susceptible. I am susceptible to it. When you're a Christian, you don't have the luxury to just say, well, I'm just not going to be around these people. Not all the time. Because you know what that doesn't do? It doesn't, it doesn't put an end to the bitterness. It just tries to move away from the revelation of it. See, people reveal, if I'm bitter at you, you're revealing that I'm bitter at you. So I just don't want to be around you. Because listen, let's be honest. If you're a Christian, who wants to say I'm bitter, I'm a bitter person? Like, no, even people who are not don't want to say that, hey, I'm a bitter person. What you do say is, I'm, I'm, I'm explaining why I'm offended by this person, what this person did. I don't think about how I'm responding. I think about what was done to me. Bitterness causes trouble. Last observation from the passage. It says many become defiled. So how does it become trouble? There's, it affects a lot of people. In Acts 8, verse 23, we just heard Peter say, you poisoned by bitterness. So it poisons us. It poisons us. It affects my ability to be around a person if I am bitter at them. It affects my memory of the person. We'll talk about this more next week, but bitterness actually can be traced to things like depression, to physical sickness, anxiety, burnout. You would be surprised how much of this is just connected to unmet expectations, bitter at this person, that person, God, whatever, and just memorializing it. We know from Acts 8, how does it defile people? Well, it poisons them. It defiles people. Another way that it defiles people is you memorialize. So we talk about memorializing your pain. You memorialize other people's pain. Or we call it taking up someone's offense. You ever have somebody tell you what happened to them and then you care about them so you're offended too? You haven't even heard the whole story. You just heard their story. This is why Proverbs, the best verse I've ever heard is Proverbs 18, 17. When I did a biblical counsel. This was one of the first verses they had to memorize. Each person who presents his case first seems right until another comes to examine them. In other words, if possible, hear both sides of the story. Because men lie and women lie, truth doesn't. You memorialize someone else's pain. We're going to talk about this more next week, but you know what that's called in, in, in the culture? Cancel culture. You memorialize someone else's pain. How dare you hurt them? One of my favorite, I used to, I haven't watched these shows in a while. One of my favorite shows, well, it wasn't favorite, but I just thought it was, it was, it was just an insane show to me, was Jerry Springer. <laughs> I used to watch Jerry Springer. And the shows that I liked the most were when someone came out, maybe it was someone cheated on someone or someone did something like that. They come out, well, after every episode, it doesn't matter what it's about, they tell their story, right? They tell their story. This person did this and they did that. They might even be emotional, might even be crying, right? Then Jerry's like, all right, let's bring out the guests. And they come out, everybody's booing them. Boo! You know, you come out, they throwing stuff at them. They're like, man, what you talking about? You know, all that stuff, right? <laughs> then that person tells their story. And now you found out, oh, you stole from him before he did that. Oh, you did. And now the tables turn. Now they're booing the first story they heard. And, then, and then, you know, that show was all about that. So now let's just boo everybody. Let's even boo booing. I'm booing you if you boo. Like, it was just like that. They just didn't care. Casper had no hope around that boo. It just like, it was. You memorialize 
other people's pain. You take up offenses. What does bitterness do? It first affects the person who is bitter. It affects the person who is bitter first. But then it affects the people who the person is bitter against. Because now you're relating to these people. Even if it's just something like withdrawing. I'm withdrawing relationship from this person. And I'm not saying there are never good reasons to do that. I think forgiveness and things aren't the same thing as trust. And we'll talk about that later. But it affects the person you're bitter against. I don't know if you've had this happen to you. I think it, because I'm in this position, I've had this happen. Will you just get an email or someone asks you to come up and talk to you, and then they just confess to you, hey, I've been bitter at you for two years or whatever. You said this to me, and it's like, huh? And first you're trying to figure out, what? Like, uh, thank you for sharing that, I think. Or you get a long email, you're just like, huh? I haven't talked to this person in a while. It's been, actually, I haven't talked to this person in like two years. How am I getting this long email? And I, it may make the person feel unburdened, but now I got the burden. Like, what happened? So you're, okay, thank you. So what did I do? And then if you can't remember what you did, the way they do, it just deepens. So bitterness affects the person, it affects the person they're bitter at, and then it affects other people who care about that person. It defiles many. And all of a sudden now, you've got these people who are taking up offense at these people, and I've actually never even had a conversation with you. How are you bitter at me? I've never even had a conversation with you. This is one of the downfalls of having a public persona. Because when you're up here and you preach with passion and stuff like that, and I'm in the zone because I'm trying to emphasize what I think is good and what is helpful for the church, and then somebody might take that and think, man, he's just angry at us and yelling at us. And it's like, you haven't even said, come talk to me in my office. Way different story. I'm preaching right now. You do anything you do in your job, you're going to be, if you're a teacher, you might be, you're just passionate. You're doing it. It's like, it just, when you have a public persona, it's like, boom, or if you're in some position of authority, Man, you tell your kids, oh, no, you can't do that. They get offended. They don't even care if it's a good reason why. I'm talking about from little. Remember when the toddler would be like, Mommy, can I have the candy? No, you're going to get sick. You can't eat that much. Ah! They don't care if they'll get sick. All right, fine. Next time, I'm going to let you keep eating until you throw up. See, that's bitterness. See? Some of y'all were like, see, that's what I would have done. See what I mean? <laughs> this series is for you. Now, this series is for me, but it's not just for me. It's for me, and if anything, I'd rather have you guys learn from my mistakes than, than imitate them. But I don't think it's for me because I'm your pastor, and I sit down and talk with many of you. And we all struggle in various ways, and this is one that we don't always address but needs to be addressed because I think this is the cause of a lot of relational conflict. You'd be surprised if bitterness has sprang up over COVID loss of relationships, expectations that were unmet. People weren't comfortable meeting in person, and then that person got offended. I thought we were good friends. We are. I just, I'm just don't want to meet. I'm just scared of COVID. Or another reason. Or you haven't talked to someone in a while. You know how, you ever, you ever got a friend where you just haven't talked to him in a while, and you know you got to talk to him, but, but do you know, like, man, we're going to catch up, and it's going to take a long time to catch up? And so you almost don't feel like putting in all that time to catch up, even though you know you want to catch up because you love them. But you know if we got to catch up, it's going to take a long time to catch up. And so you just chill and be like, man, I just, man. And then that person gets offended. Hey, I thought we were friends. We were. I just, man, your phone works. <laughs> There's collateral damage. Bitterness is a reality in the cultural phenomenon that we live in. And we live in the world and not of it, but we're affected by what we live in. And if we're honest, sometimes we're of and not in. This isn't to shame anyone. This is to remind us and help us come out of it. 
because I think it's more pervasive. And as the Lord has shown me in my own life and just looking at the culture and then talking to other pastors and then being like, bro, I hadn't even, you know, and I'm not saying like, oh, this, this is just in the Bible. This isn't some insight the Lord gave me. This is a rebuke the Lord has given me. It is a root that many will fail to obtain the grace of God. It means you will not be forgiven by God. You will not see the Lord if bitterness persists. Next week, we're going to look at how does bitterness defile. I've said a few things today, but there's, there's more specifics in how it actually defiles. Bitterness has its own logic. And I want to talk about some of that logic. Also, for members of this church, if you are a member of this church or in considering membership, I'd like you to get this is a very uh, inexpensive booklet by Lou Priolio called Bitterness. He is not a Catholic. <laughs> He's an evangelical. This is the best book that I've ever read on bitterness. I, in the summer, I'm on sabbatical. I was reading, I, I told the biblical counseling team, I want all of you to get this booklet and read through this. I'll, you'll see why when I come back. I was going to tell the D group leaders, but I was like, man, I'm going to about this. Nah, man. Jasmine will send out an email with a link, but this is a very, I want us to go through this in the D groups. Tell you what pages to go through, but this this is, for me, the most convicting book on this issue. Just to give you a, just a quick snippet, he says this, if you are bitter at someone, it means that you haven't truly forgiven that person. To put it another way, bitterness is the result of responding improperly, unbiblically to an offense. Bitterness is the result of dwelling too long on a hurt, or what we call memorializing one's pain. He lists in different, different categories of bitterness. He lists one that I thought was really good. He, he calls it withdrawal. This is what he says. He says, when we give our offenders the silent treatment or the cold shoulder, we are likewise being vindictive. We are saying, essentially, look, I've tried to tell you over and over again how much it bugs me when you don't do that or you do do that, but you just don't get it. So the only thing I know to do is to show you how much you've hurt me is to give you a little taste of your own medicine. When I think you have an inkling of how much you hurt me, perhaps in a day or two, I'll start talking to you again. Outbursts of anger, difficulty in resolving conflicts, acts of vengeance, condescending communication. I've done all of these things. I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really a bitter person. And I went through and checked all of them except one. And I thought, dang. I'm not ashamed of when the Lord exposes things. The shame comes in when I don't do anything about it. So I'm not ashamed that the Lord has been convicting me and just okay. And I think he wants to share that conviction. Please get it. It's not optional. So no, don't ask. Can we not? No, this is not one of those things where, so if you're bitter at that, let's talk about it. But I want everyone to get this book. It's about four bucks on Amazon. You spend more on that on coffee. That coffee has no eternal value. There will be no coffee in eternity. But this So look at that. There's bitterness all over. Look at that. Just say, over coffee. Starbucks will not make it into eternity. Starbucks and Salvation have few of the same letters, but they will, it will not be there, I promise you. The Lord has better coffee. We are going to be in this series for a few weeks. And my hope is that, just like last year when we did Love, that an emphasis on this will actually expose some things, not to shame anyone, not to shame anyone. Listen, when sin gets exposed, we just got to deal with it. This is who we are, right? I'm not going to be ashamed. If it gets exposed, okay, fine. I may not like that it was exposed, but like, let's just deal with it. 
Look, if you truly want to be godly, then when it gets exposed, we just deal with it. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that, oh, my gosh, the pastor's, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I just realized, the Lord showed me that, I was like, wow. So I thought, man, is this for the church or is this just for me? And Mike was like, nah, bro. This is for the church. And I talked to other pastors. They were like, bro, I might be watching your stream. If you guys are watching, what's up, fella? <laughs> this is for us, for now, for our good. Let's pray. Father, you know that you are, you revealed this to me. And you've allowed some recent circumstances to prove to me or make me prove that I'm taking this seriously. And I do and don't appreciate that, Lord. But this is an area that I know I've been deceived and would have thought, no, that's not really what I struggle with. And so I thank you first and foremost that I stumbled across this booklet in the process of packing. And I decided to read it just to kind of just to kind of be fresh on an issue, thinking that I'm going to thinking about how I can teach it possibly and then realizing I'm taught by it. And so, Lord, as we go on this journey for a few weeks and talking about this issue, I pray that you would expose where bitterness is prevalent in people so that we can go after it. Lord, we don't There's no genuine Christian here that wants to fail to obtain your grace. There's no Christian. But sometimes we just don't know what to do with our anger. Sometimes it's hard to not be angry. We've been hurt by this person. We've been offended. We, you didn't do something that we thought you would do. Or you blessed us, and then it seems like you cursed us right after it. We thought that they would struggle with this. We would, they wouldn't struggle with it anymore. Now we're still affected. There's so many different things that happen. Lord, I just pray that you would use this series to help us to root out, to uproot, and then not to defile many. This isn't about shaming people or when our sin is exposed, it just gets exposed. And it's just, it's never good. It's never fun. But Lord, may we not be ashamed of conviction if it's there when it comes. And Lord, there may be people who don't struggle with this. And by your grace, amen. I don't struggle with every single sin in the Bible. But there are some that I do. And for those of us that do struggle with this area, Lord, I pray that you would do a work here. And those of us that don't, that we would learn from it. So if that does become something we struggle with towards others or towards you or even towards ourselves, that we would have some some training, some thoughts, some teaching, some conversations with others about how to deal with it. May this be for your glory, but also for our good. In your name we pray. Amen.